Writing effective sentences. Varying the sentence structure will make your writing more engaging and less tiresome to read. By Walter Baum, published April 23rd in the Writing Cooperative. Most of us need to improve our writing, even if you've been writing for 40 years, right? One of the ways is to vary our sentence structure. First of all, if we don't practice soccer or show up for practice for the drills and the warm-ups, will we be ready for the next game? Will the coach even place our name on the roster for the next game? Or worse, benches. Like anything, writing takes practice. Practice and revision and editing and reading it out loud and cutting the fat and listening to the musicality of the language. Baseball, guitar, piano, it all takes practice and time. If you're not into baseball piano, guess what? Are you just wasting time? Let's start with the basic sentence and keep it loose. So let's start with the basic sentence, the loose sentence. Here's an example. Walter laughed. Walter is a noun. Laughed is the verb, right? This is the past tense. Walter laughs would be present tense. It's happening now. There are only two requirements to make a sentence, like the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, John 11:35. You need a subject, the thing or idea, and the thing or idea need to be doing something. Well, the verb. If your teacher or editor says you're using a fragment, that means it's not a complete sentence. You could do that intentionally, like this, but let's worry about that another time. A loose sentence is when the subject and verb appear at the beginning of a sentence. It's considered a simple sentence. It's really how we begin to learn a language. I eat, I see, me go, me ball. Okay, now you add a verb as a child, me once ball. Okay, now proper English, I want the ball. Add an article to ball. With this basic loose sentence, now we can add to the basic structure, the foundation. Walter laughed at the clown while munching popcorn at the circus in New Jersey. Here I've added two prepositional phrases, at the circus and in New Jersey. While munching popcorn is the subordinating conjunction. It is still a loose sentence even with the extra material. A run-on sentence does not mean it's long. A run-on sentence looks like this. Susie and Amit were finding it hard to, then they went to the store. What? Does that make any sense? Sometimes there may not even be a comma. So watch out for incomplete sentences, like run-ons and comma splices, when two independent sentences are joined by a simple comma. I was having the time of my life, comma. I loved being at the party. Well, that's a comma splice. Don't do that. I'll get upset. Okay, number two. Write this down. The periodic sentence is great for drama and suspense. This happens when the subject and verb are withheld until the end of the sentence. Here's an example of a periodic sentence. While he was munching popcorn at the circus in New Jersey, Walter laughed. Parts of speech can be moved around to create variety, like puzzle pieces. You can shift them around the sentence above contains for the dependent clause to start the sentence. That means it cannot stand by itself. If you put a period at the end of New Jersey, well, it becomes a fragment. 
the sentence could also be written this way. And this is why I love English so much. While he was munching popcorn, Walter laughed at the circus in New Jersey. When you pause when reading out loud, you generally need a comma. Like a little breath of spirit in there. Think of dependent clauses as a support system, like a flying buttress that supports the main wall of a thin, high church wall, like Notre Dame in Paris. They cannot stand by themselves, these dependent clauses. They need support. You can add dependent clauses against the main wall at the beginning and at the end or on the side. You can string dependent clauses together as long as the main subject and verb of that sentence um, is strong enough. Or you write, while at the circus, munching popcorn, Walter laughed at the clowns. Or, laughing at the clowns, Walter munched on popcorn while at the circus. Or, not as effective, laughing at the clowns, Walter, while at the circus, munched on popcorn. All of them are grammatically correct, but which one sounds better? It would be weird to write this. While he was munching popcorn at the circus at the clowns, Walter laughed. Writers can string dependent clauses together as long as that main subject and verb, the independent clause, is modified correctly. Who was laughing? Who was munching? Who was at the circus? Well, it better be the noun, the subject of the sentence, or else that's confusing and called a misplaced modifier. You see that on the SAT all the time, guys, right? You could write using a non-restrictive clause, one that could be taken out because it does not interfere with the meaning of the sentence. Walter, comma, while munching on popcorn at the sentence, comma, laughed at the clowns. Right, that's called a non-restrictive clause. And we'll be getting to that when we get to comma usage. The middle sections could be deleted, and it makes sense. Walter laughed at the clowns. The subject and verb are still together. Walter laughed. But this will make a loose sentence but it helps to vary the sentence structure. And that's what we're after here, right? Or am I just wasting my time? I don't know. Here's a second example of a periodic sentence. It helps create drama and tension. We wait to see what happens. As the wind whistled and the rain pounded the windows, the gray sky and foreboding without a trace of hope in the heavens, Walter picked his nose. Okay, the reader expects something to happen that's more in keeping with the tone of the dependent clauses. Wind, rain, sky, foreboding. But this is how humor is developed. The writer inserts what is not expected. It's also ironic. For a periodic sentence to be effective, the punctuation must be perfect and understandable. Do not confuse the reader with faulty grammar in order to be complicated. Here's the next one. Write this down in your handy-dandy notebook or iPad notes on Google Docs. Subordination is used somewhat like a greater than and less than sign. Oh, math. Great writing requires balance and symmetry, like architecture. Artists know this. Writers are artists. We arrange words on the page to create order and meaning, much like photographers and painters and sculptors. When viewing the photo, right, we need to know the vanishing line. All of those things place a huge role, the golden ratio, the rule of thirds, where it is the emphasis for my eye. If it's not on the books and it's not on the weird half-crop painting in the back, well, that's a problem. Writers need to direct the eye, too, to the emphatic detail in every sentence. 
Writers often place the most essential word, the most important idea, the most emphatic word in the middle of a sentence or at the beginning. Oftentimes, this is a mistake. If you think of a sentence as a unit, the strongest beat, the strongest word, what you want to be stressed, right? That should be at the end. Here's an example. I wrote my first novel when I was only 10 years old. What's intriguing about this? I have created an A and B in the sentence, two parts. One is subordinate to the other. One is in charge of the other in importance. So B must always be in charge because it comes at the end. What is unique about this sentence? Well, she wrote her novel when only 10. It could be written this way, but it misses the right emphasis. When I was only 10 years old, I wrote my first novel. Is the novel really important? Well, <clears throat> sometimes it's up to the writer. But think about what the reader will find interesting. After all, the audience needs to be pleased and educated and entertained, right? If they're not, they're not going to read your stuff. The secret is to vary the sentence structure. Like a musician that varies notes and chords on the scale. You just don't play middle C all the time. Writers, oftentimes students, pick a set structure that they're comfortable with and they stick to it. And man, that makes for troublesome and frustrating <laughs> and boring reading. Especially if you always start with a coordinating conjunction like but or and or string so many independent clauses with coordinating conjunctions, the reader does not know what is important. For more information on subordination, check out this website. Okay, here's another one. Write this down as another type of sentence. A dramatically short sentence. For some reason, students, man, woo, you guys just, you, you don't like writing these things. You think it's just too simple, too elementary. Writers often do not know when to stop. So they just heat more and more into an already overloaded sentence and they just keep going like some energizer buddy. And the reader wonders what's happening because they are confused. And the writer just keeps typing away and hopefully somewhere they get to find out what they're trying to write and, and guess right. Like my example above. Horrible, right? I just keep going and going and going. The emphasis on the subject is lost. Many times, too, the punctuation is, dare I say it, problematic. Dramatically short sentences vary the sentence structure. Look at this example, right? I have a blah, 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 blah. Then I have, like, some asterisks, and then blah, blah, blah. What stands out? Right here. What stands out? The four stars, right? Well, your dramatically shortened sentence can do that, too. The eye focused on what is different, like the one yellow tulip in a field of red tulips. I took a picture of that at Longwood Gardens, and, and people really like it because, wow, you stand out. You're an individual, right? The dramatically short sentence draws attention to itself. They can be strung together. That should be strung together, not strong together, but strong together also works, um, to be effective, too. It allows the reader to take a breath like this. It also adds drama. Here's an example with words, not just lines. After a long trip home, driving through a snowstorm and low on gas, with temperatures dropping to below zero, I found shelter at a local diner. The diner was warm. The meatloaf was delicious. The coffee tasted like heaven. I use the periodic sentence at the beginning because I found is the subject and verb, right? But after a long sentence, Break up the flow with some short sentences. Your reader will thank you. Maybe even 
bless you. Here's a fun website about dramatically short sentences. Well, my idea of fun and your idea of fun. Maybe different, but it's fun. And ways to write them. All right, here's another one. Write this one down. Coordination is all about making sure all elements are equal. But in coordination, all carry equal weight. Oh, I got a typo there. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, thank you, Jesse, for pointing that out to me. Example, I play basketball, volleyball, and golf. All three of them are equal. I, I, don't, like one or, or I don't like one above the other. Or using polysyndonton, which we'll get to, replace the commas with, coordinating con, uh, with a coordinating connection. I play basketball and volleyball and golf. No commas are needed here. The first example is a series of commas with commas, and that's called asyndonton. And this all comes from the Greek. Again, different styles for different occasions. Here's an example from my boy Emerson in the introduction to his Transcendental Manifesto Nature, which we'll be reading, composed in 1836. Notice it's all coordination, but with different uses of commas. There are new lands, new men, new thoughts. Right? All commas. So that would be this one, Asidentan. Let us demand our own works and laws and worship. There, he's using polysidentan. Right? He knows what he's doing. He's Emerson. This is no accident. Use no commas when you are building and stacking. Use commas when you are quick shooting ideas. You get it? It just takes practice. Here's yet another example, because I just love examples. I have three errands to do after school. Go to the post office, run to Target, and race to my boyfriend's house. We have three verbs that are balanced. Run, go, run, race. I would place the more important one, racing to the boyfriend at the end, because hopefully... Hopefully, if the boyfriend's on the gun, that's more important. You have options with the coordinated list that comes after the independent clause. If it's not a complete sentence with its own noun and verb, use a semicolon. If it's a dependent clause or the nouns and verbs like playing, jumping, and running, use a colon. Or, as the British say, colon. That just drives me crazy. But that's, that's the way British say it. You could use a widely used M-dash, and I'm all about the M-dash, as you can see in this essay, for emphasis. But use this as you would a comma. Just use it for emphasis. And an M-dash is not a hyphen, uh, peoples. All right, here's an example. I have three pets. All right, colon, a turtle, a dog, and a lizard. Example two. I have three pets. Now I'm using the semicolon because... I have sentences afterwards. My first one is a turtle named John. The second one is a dog named Byron. And the last one is a lizard named Pete. If you use an article A or the before a noun, make sure you use A or the before each one. That's very important. All right? You want to keep it parallel. I need only, I not only need to study for my math exam, but also for my English final exam. All right? Here's a website for more information on coordination. There's so much out there, guys. You just don't, just don't use like the stuff that I write. Want to write like the greats? Well, of course you do. Use parallel structure. This gets into parallel structure, which is a whole course and lecture in itself. And if you're interested, I have a video lecture, of course I do, on this, which at some point will be published on Medium, I hope. Uh, I think it is already. I'm not sure. In a sentence, think about a fulcrum. 
At what point will the teeter-totter be balanced? If each side holds 50 pounds, then it's balanced. That's good. So when something is not only coordinated, but also balanced, a noun with a noun, a verb with a verb, a phrase with a phrase, you're venturing into the crystal blue seas of beautiful writing, like of the people, by the people, for the people. That famous conclusion from Lincoln's Gettysburg Address is both coordinated and parallel. Here are some famous parallel structured phrases. Taste great, less filling. Miller Lite. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. JFK. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Neil Armstrong. The play was a success, but the audience was a complete failure. Oscar Wilde. Snap, crackle, pop. Rice Krispies. My wife and I have one thing in common. We're both in love with me. Uh, that was uh, said by uh, this guy named Walter Baum. He thinks he's funny. Advertisers and writers and slogan masters know what we remember phrases like this because of the structure. The Purdue Online Writing Lab is a go-to for many of my scholars. This page will help you understand more about parallel structure. Okay, here's another one. Wield that rhetorical question carefully. It cuts both ways and can injure the craft and the writer. This one should be familiar to you. We are often told, oftentimes wrongly, to start an essay with a question, like, what does love mean to you? How does the dictionary define friendship? Oh my goodness, I'm going to stop reading right there, right? And what I've seen has made me want to pull my hair out and cry on the floor and shout and scream. And because I have a lot of hair, it would take me a long time to pull all my hair out. Such examples are almost as poor as beginning with a platitude, which I've shared with you already, or such a general statement of truth or fact that makes it irrelevant. These are called platitudes. The world is a big place. Everyone loves a holiday. America is a land of opportunity. Ah, they just stop conversation. It, 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 that's just awful. They're meaningless. A good rhetorical question is like asking the reader right across from you a question. The science fiction writer Isaac Asimov has a great rhetorical question in his essay called What is Intelligence Anyway? And he opens, What is Intelligence Anyway? Right? Then he writes a story, I have a link there to it, about how he always registered high scores on tests because he had one type of intelligence. But his mechanic working on his car shows another type of intelligence. This mechanic may not have scored well in the SAT, and it's effective because he wants to prove that tests like the SAT and ACT only measure one type of intelligence. That's why I hate those things. I, mean, I really, really hate those things. I hope they go away. Those who score well were taken by those who wrote the test who also scored well. The mechanic jokes around when he tests him to prove that Asimov is pretty dumb with some things. You can also use a series of rhetorical questions in an essay or speech. It can be very effective. Here's Patrick Henry with give me liberty or give me death, and it's all parallel structure too. And we'll be studying this in class. They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable an ad adversary. But when shall we be stronger? Will it be next week or the, or the next year? Will it be when we are totally disarmed and the British guard shall be stationed in every house? Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying supinely on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope while our enemies shall have 
us bound hand and foot. Right, what a great, he's, he's leading to the conclusion there. I count five rhetorical questions, and it doesn't end there. Right, he keeps going. It can be effective to have a call and response, a question, and then you provide the answer. Sometimes, of course, the answer is obvious. For more help, Google search how to effectively use rhetorical questions and check out this page as well. Hopefully, this has helped you learn to vary your sentence structure. Think of yourselves as composers of music. The more attention you pay, playing with the words, the syllables, the sounds on the page, the better your writing will be. Take care, everyone. Happy writing.